You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody, and happy Friday to you. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior, and uh, I'm back on the show because uh, last time, if you tuned in for Thursday's show, it was the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Nando DeFino. <laughs> Nando did a totally awesome job. Uh, he had some great guests, uh, Jimmy McCaffrey, um, a guy that we know is uh, Craig from Chicago, uh, but uh, uh, he uh, came on and uh, uh he and Nando uh, talked uh, some good uh, fantasy. Uh, so talked about a lot of uh, interesting issues with uh, fantasy drafts coming up, uh, and of course uh, Joe Sheehan. So uh, a great, great lineup there uh, with Nando yesterday, and uh, I enjoyed listening to the show rather than uh, just you know listening to myself. So hope you enjoyed it too. If you didn't uh, listen yet, go back and go back and check it out. Really, really fun episode. Uh, going to have a fun episode today, and uh, today we're going to be joined by Eric Cressy. Uh, he is the founder of Cressy Sports Performance. If you're you're not familiar with him, uh, works with uh, all sorts of athletes, uh, but uh, a lot of uh, major leaguers as well. And that um, I'm looking forward to discussion with him because there's a lot of. Uh, sort of inside things that go on with training pitchers that as a, a lay person, I don't understand. So I'm really glad to have uh, Eric on the show to, uh, to ask him some questions that uh, I don't often get the opportunity to ask people who have that, that kind of inside knowledge. Uh, there are a number of injury updates as I expect that there will be throughout spring training. The position previews will roll on this time, stopping at shortstop and, uh, before any of, of, of all that, uh, well, first thing, I just want to uh, update you on the latest uh, injury news, the latest piece of injury news, uh, which to me kind of stands out uh, above some okay. of the others that have come up uh, lately. And that is Drew Pomerantz left his start uh, today with uh, forearm tightness. And, I, you know, I have no idea how serious this is. I don't think actually anybody really does. He's going to uh, have it, have his forearm re-evaluated tomorrow. Uh, that according to uh, Nick Cafardo, excuse me, Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe. Uh, for whatever this is worth, Pomerantz himself says that his concern level is very low about this uh, injury, this forearm injury. Uh, so he's terming it as precautionary. That uh, report, by the way, coming to us from uh, Ian Brown of MLB.com. But uh, whether or not Drew Pomerant says he's concerned or if he says his concern is very low, I tell you what, I'm going to be concerned. <laughs> I'm going to be concerned until at least I see those test results. And even after those come out and if they're somewhat positive, I'm still probably going to be concerned. Uh, when you're talking about the forearm just seems like there have been plenty of times where somebody's come out with a forearm issue and it's supposedly not a big deal and it's a big deal. So let's definitely see uh, what happens there with Drew Pomerantz. And I, you know, I've talked a lot about the pitchers that are in his neighborhood of ADP, uh, you know, sort of just right outside the top 30, that 30 to 45, 30 to 50 range. And I've said that there's not a lot of really safe options, but I think Pomerantz has actually shaped up into being, prior to this forearm injury, being actually one of those safer options. Uh, but, you know, I, I've focused more on pitchers like Sonny Gray uh, and, and Michael Waka, but really there's, there's no reason why I shouldn't have included Pomerantz uh, among that very small number of pitchers in that tier that do offer you a bit more consistency based on based on track record. But now he's got the forearm injury. So, so much for that, at least for right now. But maybe, who knows, maybe a week or two from now, uh, it's going to be a non-issue. Hopefully you have more information before whenever your, your drafts are. Uh, but as far as my drafts go, I've got a whole bunch going on. I've actually got five going on simultaneously right now. Uh, obviously, they're all uh, slow drafts. 
because if they were not slow drafts and I had five drafts going on right now, I would have a really hard time doing this show. I'd really have I'd have a hard time doing any one of those drafts, frankly. If I had five uh, drafts with a, a short clock all going on simultaneously, I'm just not very good at multitasking. Uh, but one of those drafts is uh, the great fantasy baseball invitational that's been organized by Justin Mason, who's been on the show a few times. He's going to be on the show again next week. Really made a point of making sure to get him on the show because he's, of course, the one who organized this whole thing, made it happen. Uh, I believe it's his brainchild. So no better person to have on to talk about it. And at that point, all these uh, many leagues that are going on at the same time, uh, we're going to have a lot of results. Uh, I think my, my uh, league is uh, t- towards the end of the fourth round, I believe. Or no, let me take that back. That's not right. Uh, maybe... Well, I'll have to go and check because I've already made my, uh, I think maybe it's late in the fifth round, actually, that uh, we've got going on in, in my great fantasy baseball invitational uh, grouping here. And uh, I apologize for taking so long to uh, look this up. But yeah, we are actually, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're in the latter part of round five there. I think that's pretty typical. I think all these leagues are moving at, at a fairly similar pace. So by the time we, we've got Justin on the show, uh, these leagues should be you know, fairly deep into, uh, into the, the drafting grid. And it'll be really interesting to see where there's some, maybe some disparity in results. I think that's actually going to be the interesting finding. Uh, players that uh, are going to be more polarizing. And it's all people in the fantasy industry. So we're, we're going to get a really nice big cross-section of opinions on uh, on players. So that's going to be a really fun discussion. But already in this draft, uh, I've got the uh, the ends. I've got the 15th pick. Uh, so 15 and 16 were my first two picks. Uh, that still hasn't stopped me from, by the way, checking my queue and, and checking the, the draft grid very frequently. Um, <laughs> though I've got a really long time between picks. Um, but then the nice thing is that you, you know, you get to make your picks two at a time and, and get, get that taken care of. So at the 15, 16 term, I went Votto and Bryant and right away there with my first picks, I had a really, really difficult dilemma that I'm just going to share with you. Cause I, I imagine a lot of you probably will have draft positions that'll put you in a similar place. And then with my third and fourth round picks, those were 45 and 46 overall. I went Elvis Andrus and Justin Upton. And I'm not going to lie, uh, picking Upton, I don't think that's terrible value for him, but I was disappointed. I really, really was hoping Christian Yelich would slide to me at that point. And if not Yelich, Starling Marte. So Upton for me was my my third choice there. Uh, but he's my so my, he's my first outfielder. So yeah, I went. Got, I was thrilled to get Joey Votto with the last pick, the 15th pick overall in the first round. So that was that was tremendous. And then I you know come around back to uh, uh, the 16th pick. If it hadn't been for the fact that uh, Ray Murphy of Baseball HQ had already just taken Corey Kluber as the fourth of the big four starting pitchers right before me with the 14th pick. I, I would have taken Kluber there at the turn. No question. In fact, was really, really hoping he'd make it that one more spot to get to me at 15. Didn't happen. So I knew I wasn't going to be going for starting the pitcher for a few rounds. But um, looking at the options, I thought, well, I could go Aaron Judge here because there's a bit of an outfield drop-off after him. Or I could go third base where you had quite a few options. You had Chris Bryant, you had Manny Machado, and you had a Jose Ramirez who I have very similarly valued. But by the time I come back around to pick again at number 45, because again, I've got to wait 29 picks <laughs> in between my, my uh, selections here. So I thought, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get any of those guys. Obviously, I'm not going to get Josh Donaldson, probably not going to get Alex Bregman. So I decided to, to take a third baseman there. The question was which one? Because I liked my chances better. I knew, obviously, I wasn't going to get Aaron Judge either after uh, 29 picks, but I, you know, I figured there'd be outfielders I liked. And again, didn't get Yelich, didn't, didn't get Marte, but you know, just it up to just fine. So I decided to go third base there. And my choices uh, again, were Bryant Machado and Ramirez. 
And just in terms of straight-out value, I knew I liked Bryant the best of them. But because I have to wait such a long time between picks, I thought, well, why don't I go with one of the multi-position guys? Because Machado is going to be shortstop eligible. Jose Ramirez is already second-base eligible. I was really tempted to go with one of them. But I looked ahead and I thought, you know, I've got some shot. If I wait it out, I can get Elvis Andrews almost certainly when I come back around. And, um, you know, there are quite a few second basemen that uh, that I like that may still be available uh, when I come back around. So I, I, I went ahead and just went with Bryant, who I just liked the best. And that I, you know, that I was able to get Andrews when I came back. So. I was happy about that. So I have to say my first three choices, Votto, Bryant, Andrews, very happy with those. Like I said, Upton wasn't my first choice, but feel like I, I really can't complain too much. And now I am just waiting to make my fifth and sixth picks. It's very clear what I'm going to have to do there. Probably, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, obviously I need a starting pitcher, maybe two. And whether I go for one or for two depends in part on some position players in my queue and whether they're still there. I've got to wait uh, one, two, three, four, five more people ahead of me. So let's see. if It'd be cool if this happened in real time and I could make the selection uh, while we're on the air. So I'll keep keep my eyes open on that. But let's get to uh, some of the uh, injury uh, updates and some of the other news. Uh, Jacob deGrom threw a bullpen session today, and it's, it's expected that uh, the next time he throws, it'll be in the game. So that's uh, superb news for Jacob deGrom. Not that uh, there were really any big warning signs there with him, but he's uh, moving ahead uh, as if on schedule. Buster Posey, on the other hand, his left ankle still bothering him. Giants have a day off Tuesday. Uh, he won't play before then, but he could play as soon as next Wednesday. Uh, so Buster Posey, that's a little bit of a concern, missing some time there. But again, doesn't sound too serious. Uh, let's take a break from the injuries for a moment. couple of minor league signings. Yankees pick up on a minor league deal, which this is this is pretty nice for them. Uh, getting a- Adam Lind, so maybe not so great for Adam Lind, unfortunately, uh, you know, facing a tough market this year, coming off a, a really nice season with the Nationals where he was able – you know, because of injuries, to pick up a, a decent amount of playing time. Made 301 plate appearances. He batted 303 with 14 home runs and you know, basically half a year's worth of, of plate appearances. So some nice numbers from Adam Lind playing for the Nationals and now uh, going to Yankee Stadium in that lineup uh, should be good. So from, from you know a fancy perspective, that's a nice landing spot for Lind. The playing time for him, I mean, he's it, it's going to be tough. I mean, that's obviously insurance for Greg Bird. Uh, but I don't really see a whole lot of opportunities for Lynn to pick up a whole lot of playing time there. Uh, but uh, on the negative side, I've liked uh, targeting Tyler Austin as a handcuff for Grand, uh, uh, Greg Bird because I figured that's you – know, that's going to be the insurance policy is, you know, let's give Tyler Austin a shot. And it just seems like the Yankees just can, uh, and maybe it's just that they want another layer of insurance, but it just seems like the Yankees don't trust Tyler Austin. You know, uh, the year before uh, spring training before uh, Austin got hurt, they went out and got Chris Carter. Uh, so of course there was an injury there to Austin, a little different situation, but it just seems like there have been two or three times where Austin's, been ready to assume at least a backup role and the Yankees have, have hesitated on that. So from that perspective, uh, I, I don't love it, but that's, that's a, that's a really selfish perspective. I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try to make my analysis a, a little more, uh, you know, broader, uh, broader with a broader perspective going forward. Try not to make this so selfish. Danny Valencia has also agreed to minor league deal with the Orioles. Uh, so I'll be a return engagement for Valencia. Uh, let's see, uh, some other injury-related news. Bryce Harper mentioned on the show two days ago that uh, he had an ingrown toenail. He actually had to have a, a surgical procedure to remove that. That must have been one really bad ingrown toenail. So that was taken care of, uh, but he could, that uh, says, according to Washington Post, expect to be out until Saturday. I'll be honest, I, I assume that means he can play Saturday, but maybe that means he's out Saturday too. 
Either way, it's a very, very short timeout for uh, Bryce Harper. So while it might sound like a maybe a slightly bigger deal, saying that he had a procedure done on it, it doesn't actually sound like it's too big of a deal of, at all. Uh, let's see. Uh, Randall Gritchick has a sprained wrist, and uh, he sustained this diving for a ball. He'll be out for at least a few days. And um, apparently it's not supposed to be a big deal. But again, I've already expressed my, my skepticism about that. Uh, but at least uh, for now, it looks like Randall Gritchick isn't expected to be out too long with that, uh, with that sprained wrist. Eric Thames was uh, scratched yesterday with a stiff back, but he is expected to return tomorrow, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So that's good news for Eric Thames. He's still got sort of a numbers crunch to deal with, a roster crunch. Uh, but at least the back does not appear to be a, a major issue for him. And Travis Wood, he was at the Tigers camp as a non-roster of IT, but already his season appears to be over. He sustained a torn ACL and medial meniscus. Uh, that uh, coming from the Detroit News. So uh, Travis Wood, I mean, uh, definitely a long shot for making a fancy impact this year, but now it looks like uh, that's going to be completely out of the picture and that he'll uh, likely miss the entire season due to those injuries. So uh, unfortunate for uh, for Travis Wood. So uh, that's uh, not too bad in terms of an injury wrap-up, but I will keep you posted on the progress of uh, those players and anything else that comes up. But in the meantime, we got to head to break. And when we return, I'm going to be joined by Eric Cressy of Cressy Sports Performance and uh, going to talk about training and conditioning and the pitchers he's worked with and all kinds of good stuff. So uh, do stick around for that. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and um, I am really, really looking forward to this segment and this conversation. Uh, it's actually been in the works for, for quite a while. I'm um, going to have Eric Cressy on the show. He is the founder of Cressy Sports Performance. And uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. I know you've got a very, very busy schedule. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, really pleased to have you on. And uh, so earlier in the program, I was you know teasing this segment and saying you know we're going to be uh, going a little bit more you know in depth and sort of inside uh, what goes on, particularly for pitchers um, and, and their ability to adapt and make changes and make those changes stick. And and I don't often get the opportunity to ask somebody who understands the the dynamics of that process. Uh, but before we get to any of that, uh, just for, for people who may not be familiar uh, with what you do, um, what exactly is Cressy Sports Performance? Uh, how did you start it? And, and uh, what, uh, what do you do there? Sure. Uh, so we founded Cressy Sports Performance, our original Massachusetts location, um, opened up in 2007, and we opened a, a second location in Jupiter, Florida um, in 2014. Um, you know, if, and the 15-second the, the elevator pitch, I guess, would be that um, we provide individualized uh, strength conditioning programs for baseball players. And, you know, those programs extend beyond just your classic strength conditioning work. We do a lot with throwing programs. We have, you know, manual therapy on site, um, rehabilitation specialists in-house, things like that. So um, we've kind of become a one-stop shop for the baseball player in terms of long-term and short-term development and uh you know we work with guys from all 30 major league organizations now oh that's fantastic um so what what are the specific uh sorts of things uh that they do to, to help uh, help pitchers 
Sure. So everything for our guys um, begins with an, uh, an individualized evaluation. So we basically sit down and we'll go over, you know, injury histories, their training histories, um, you know, their goals with the program. Um, and then we'll do a thorough movement screen as well where, you know, we get to know them from a, a movement standpoint, figuring out their limitations in terms of mobility or stability or something along those lines. And all that information kind of comes together to, you know, to help us um, create a good program that's, you know, designed um, for their individual needs. So, um, you know, that program, ranges not just from what we do, you know, in the weight room, but it also applies to all their flexibility training, um, the manual therapy work, both the like foam rolling and stuff like that, as well as, you know, what they would do with our massage therapist or, you know, physical therapist they're working with. And it certainly extends into throwing programs and um, things along those lines for our arms. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a process that we, you know, we roll out not just for, you know, our major league guys, but we have a lot of, you know, everything from, you know, 12-year-olds all the way up to college players before guys even get to pro ball. Wow, wow. Well, and, and you go into some depth uh, about uh, all of this on your website, so I would just refer people uh, to go check it out uh, at uh, uh, Eric, uh, E-R-I-C-C-R-E-S-S-E-Y.com. Uh, a lot of information there as well. But like you said, uh, you, know, uh, you have the you know, sort of the elevator speech version of this. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that. Uh, one of the questions that this is actually, there's a lot of questions I want to get to, but the the question that initially led me to you, Eric, was um, I was talking to a, a, a common uh, colleague or acquaintance of ours, uh, Alan Jager, who's also been on the show a yeah. few times. And I, I just I had a curiosity about older pitchers who seem to uh, make make some sort of transition or transformation in their career. And I think it was maybe early last season when Jason Vargas got off to that fantastic start. Mm-hmm. And in, in my industry, in, in fantasy analysis, everybody was discounting it. And in retrospect, it looks like they were all right, and I was the only one who was wrong because <laughs> he regressed to his normal level. But you yeah. know, I just thought, well, why, why not? Uh, he was having a ton of success with his changeup. And I just thought, you know, why not? But I, I still... The, you know, with the, the Vargas example aside, now we've got some newer examples of pitchers who have made a leap. And yet, again, in, in the fantasy industry, there's a certain degree of skepticism. So, you know, two that I, I thought of, uh, you know, who are older uh, would be uh, Charlie Morton and Chase Anderson uh, coming off terrific seasons. And yet the response to them in terms of fantasy drafts is, uh, you know, a little, little more unimpressed. Uh, so from your perspective, I'm wondering, uh, is, there, is there any reason to have that sort of skepticism just simply because somebody is in their 30s uh, in terms of the ability to make a leap, to make some sort of adjustment, and to make that adjustment stick for more than a month or two? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly I guess there is skepticism in the context of, like, there's a useful life on a Major League Baseball player, and we, you know, we do see guys start to decline in terms of velocity and durability as they, you know, extend further and further into their 30s. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm inherently more skeptical of someone who does it later in their career as opposed to someone who does it younger. Um, what's really interesting, I don't know if, you know, if you've read Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, um, but Jeff makes a, a really interesting point. Part of the biggest takeaway of the book, if, if you, you know, you finish it up and you look back on it, is really the only thing we know about guys who are healthy is that um, they tend to be the guys who have been healthy earlier. So, you know, if you look at the number one risk factor for a hamstring strain and somebody had a previous hamstring strain. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, what you kind of become concerned about with age, you know, your mind can also be put at ease if somebody gets to age 29, 30, and they've largely been healthy in their elbow and their shoulder, you stand a, a really a substantially higher chance of them being healthier, you know, well into the, you know, the, the, however many years that follow. So I don't know that I'm inherently more skeptical of a, of a younger pitcher who, who thrives um, versus an older pitcher. You know, I, you mentioned the Charlie Morton example, and you know, I think Morton's also a guy who, you know, who was healthy for the first time in an extended period yeah. of time. Um, so he had a, a lot of stuff. And you know, we'll see that you know, all the time with you know, guys who go to a different organization and maybe has a different approach medically. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to his unique, unique situation at all where he's been previously, but you know, that's a big thing. You know, and, and just, you know, I think where my job is really, really interesting with respect to this stuff is, you know, I, I kind of hear the conversations that happen during the offseason, not the stuff that, you know, all you guys hear, you know, the conversation with the media, but we, I've heard stories about guys who were traded who commented just on, like, the scouting reports with one team versus another is markedly different. 
you know, where, um, you know, there are different approaches. And I think, you know, as a coach, you're always trying to figure out what's going to get through to an athlete. You know, what is it that makes them tick? You know, are they visual learners? Are they kinesthetic learners? Are they auditory learners? Like, what is it that, you know, that makes them go? Um, and sometimes, you know, certain organizations click with other guys, you know, better than others. So, um, you know, I think we all see guys that, you know, may, you know, to some degree kind of like reinvent themselves a little bit by just different pitch sequencing. So they're throwing the same pitches they always threw, but, you know, maybe they're, they're spinning more breaking balls now and throwing four seams up. Like, like I think you saw a lot of that with like Sam Dyson, you know, last year, once he got to, to San Francisco, the pitch mix changed pretty substantially and his results were a lot better. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it has nearly that much to do with age, you know, for me. Well, okay. Ed, you, so you bring up something very interesting with the organizations and yeah, you do see uh, pitchers, you change some sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, uh, with a change of scenery, and, and you know maybe there's a, a good or a bad chemistry there, or uh, you know a, a learning uh, dynamic that works better or worse for certain yeah. pitchers. Um, but in terms of a pitcher, you know whether they're veterans and, and more advanced in age or not, how difficult is it for somebody to make? Uh, that sort of change. So that somebody goes from one organization to another and they're going to somewhere where there's a different approach, a different way of uh, scouting players, a different way of, you know, explaining things. How difficult is that for uh, the typical pitcher that you work with to, to, to make that adjustment? Yeah, you know, it depends on the adjustment. It really, really does. So, like, I've I've seen scenarios. Um, case in point, we had we had one particular athlete um, who was a forty man guy who who started with us this off season. He was a you know pretty good prospect and really like struggled the last couple of years. And you know, the organization actually was the one that that sent him to us and you know and paid for his off season to try to get it sorted out because they had been kind of stumped and they had taken a whole bunch of mechanical and and kind of pitch grip solutions to what was really actually a physical problem. Like he had certain movement competencies that he wasn't capable of. So for him, there was really little that needed to be taken care of mechanically. Like there weren't adjustments there. It was really more about like let's let's change around this in your training program. Let's modify your pregame warm-ups to get you to where you need to be. And so those were those were changes that were actually very easy. Like he's had a substantial velocity jump and they're really, really pleased with where he's at even this early in spring training. But that was just like, hey, go have a normal offseason, but do this training program instead. And it, it, it was a very easy thing to integrate. Um, you know, going and learning like a brand new pitch, something like that is, you know, substantial. What I, what I think is the, the hardest stuff to do, and this is something I've seen, you know, there's certain organizations that, you know, do tend to throw a lot of guys at once, is, is making a huge adjustment, you know, where they, they, you know, take you from a different position in the windup and they have you go do a slider instead of a curveball and they change your change-up grip at the same time. Like, our, our brains don't really work that way. When we have this really finely tuned pattern, like throwing a baseball that we've done, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of times since we were little, um, when you start to really overhaul things, instead of just subtle tinkering one thing at a time, you usually get into trouble. So I'm always very leery of when there's there's big adjustments, you know, with guys who are already in the top, you know, 0.0001% of their population on the planet. Um, yeah. So... You know, and, you know, I think you look at, like, you know, hitters as well, like, you know, uh, you know, the launch angle thing is, you know, something that's very, you know, kind of like prevalent now in discussions in baseball and guys who've got more, you know, cognizant of it is, but, you know, there are guys that already hit balls at those launch angles, they're just doing it more, so a lot of that has to do with, you know, hunting pitches that they know they can hit in the air, um, so it's it's also an approach thing, that doesn't, didn't fundamentally overhaul their swing, you know what I mean, there are a lot of guys that have made improvements there without tinkering with the swing, so... Um, you know, it's a, it's a hard discussion to have, but you always want to be careful about throwing too much at guys all at once. Well, you know, and the launch angle uh, thing is, is a great example. I'm really glad that you brought that up because we got all these reports. You know, Ryan Zimmerman was probably, uh, and, and Daniel Murphy maybe a little before him, but they were sort of the early uh, players that we attached to this notion of the fly ball revolution. And you read the interviews with them. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I just started elevating the ball more, and, and you know, and I got these results. And it, and it sounds simple, and I have a feeling it's anything but. So, yeah, there's there's uh, definitely substantially more to it. I think it goes without saying. Um, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to diminish like the efficacy of some of those hitting coaches who have made pronounced changes. Or, you know, like Chris Taylor is, is one of our guys who obviously made a, a pretty big adjustment. You know, going into last year, it was very visible in his swing. Like that was a, you know, to some, a lot of people would have called that like a leap of faith for a guy who needed to make a big change, and it, it obviously worked out really, really well for him. So, I, I just think it comes back to like every you know situation is inherently unique. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, 
it, it's that's a tough thing for we as as fantasy baseball owners to adjust yeah. to because we have our stories about you know how things happen, but again, we don't often get the opportunity to talk to somebody like you who you know works with the players. And so, just yeah. to give you an example, of the kind of of stories or narratives you know we tell, a common one now going into a new season is player X really made a shift in the second half yeah. last year. Robert Stevens would be an example. That's somebody I ta- I've talked about a lot on the show. Um, just seemed like a different pitcher over the last two months. Um, so it's a bit of a black box to to lay people to figure out, well, what happened with somebody like Robert Stevenson? But a question I also have, is, which is a more general question, is if a player does make an adjustment midseason the previous year, how difficult is it to carry that over through an offseason? question, um, especially as baseball is trying to figure that adjustment out. Um, they're trying to figure out ways to dip, pitch those hitters differently and all that. Um, you know, I think what I can tell you just from my personal experience is usually the guys that do make that big adjustment, they tend to get back to to like practicing it sooner than later. Um, so the you know the ones that we've seen who have overhauled swings or things like that, they're not the guys that wait till January one to start swinging. They're they're in the cage trying to hone it. Um, you know, and there, there are certainly examples of guys who have who have you know approached things differently. So Max Scherzer is one of our guys, and Max throws year round. The season ends, and he he literally you know likes to throw at least two, usually three days a week. Um, you know, all during the month of November, even if it's really just a tennis ball against a wall, just because he always felt it was tougher to get his arm going after he had taken that, you know, that two-month break and then started from scratch, he would, you know, deal with, like, kind of pronounced soreness. So he, he keeps it going, and obviously it's, it's worked very well for Max. He's, you know, thrown a ton of things and been largely healthy. So, um, you know, I think you see that as guys get further and further along, they understand, um, you know, how to, how to manage their program unique to their needs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and again, it's, uh, it's a very, like you say, very individualized. And so, uh, you know, we're just trying to find trends here. Uh, one trend that I've, I've tried to capitalize on is while everybody is looking for pitchers who get a lot of strikeouts, um, you know, that's the way our fantasy games are set up is that not only do strikeouts help your other categories, but that in itself is a category. So it's that that type of pitcher has a lot of value. But uh, there's certainly not nearly as much attention placed on pitchers who succeed on contact. And I know one of the pitchers you work with, Brandon Kinsler, has been yeah. immensely successful and consistently successful yeah. at succeeding uh, by inducing soft contact. Yeah. Uh, is, is that a different sort of uh, challenge to work with a pitcher who gets success with that way? Or, or really, is it just the same process uh, as it would be working with, you know, say, Max Scherzer? Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll give you an actual Brandon Kinsler quote that I think will answer your question. He Great. he actually was, um, when he was still with the Twins, they were in Boston to, to play the Red Sox. So he came out and he spoke to a group of our college players. And the exact quote from me says, you don't throw a two-seamer, you power a two-seamer. Um, you know, and, and Max Scherzer, uh, you know, probably a month ago said to me, like, my, uh, my career changed when I learned to throw a ball through a catcher instead of to a catcher. So, you know, both those guys, I mean, those those conversations based here all about driving late hand speed um so it, it doesn't necessarily matter what kind of throw you know or what kind of pitch you're throwing like there are certain things that optimize your chances of success um you know and, and what i would also tell you is I'm, I'm you know in spite of the fact that kinsler you know may have you know history of getting ground balls soft contact like brandon wants to strike people out like he's actually been working a lot on his slider to make it better and actually he and max are throwing partners so max has been talking a lot with him about things that they can do so they, the two of them go back and forth a lot so I, I you know just because a guy doesn't punch a lot of people out like Justin Nicolino is one of our guys like Justin would love to punch more guys out and we've done a lot of things to, to get him closer to that end um, so I, I don't think you inherently train them you know differently um, you know maybe you just <laughs> your expectations may be you know a little bit lower if a guy's been a you know 86 to 88 change up specialist his whole career um, you know as opposed to you know Syndergaard coming in here when he's got a track record of consistently throwing 100 miles an hour but I think that's where the, the, the you know the, the the organizational opportunities make such a big difference. You know when you 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 know you look at like Minnesota when they brought in Jason Castro, who's a great receiver. Like that had a profound impact on their staff. Um, mm-hmm. You know you look at other you know examples of guys. You know Kluber tended to throw his breaking ball a lot more last year. Um, you know I think last year was the first time he threw his fastball less than fifty percent of the time. So I think it's more like pitch selection stuff um, that, that changes things up at this point in the game. 
All right. Well, well, that's great information. I wish we had more time, Eric, but unfortunately, uh, we do have to go to break now. So I uh, just want to thank you for, uh, for making the time and uh, all the fantastic information and insight that you brought. So uh, uh, good luck to you this season, and uh, thanks again. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. My pleasure. All right, folks, we'll stick around. We'll be right back. We're going to move on to short stops right after this break. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And uh, just want to express my gratitude to Eric Cressy for taking the time for that last segment. Man, that was such great information from him. Really cool stuff. Uh, a lot of which I didn't expect about Max Scherzer and, and Corey Kluber. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, do check out uh, his website. Uh, it's uh, ericcressy.com. Uh, Eric with a C and then C-R-E-S-S-E-Y.com if you're uh, interested in learning more about uh, what he does uh, working with uh, – uh, many of the baseball players that we uh, we know and love here in fantasy. So uh, I do have the shortstop preview ahead uh, to get to. I also need to remind you that you can create the ultimate dynasty keeper or redraft fantasy league using Fantrax's free commissioner product. Find out how it feels to have the deepest player pool, multi-team trades, plus player salary and contract options right at your fingertips all of which are fully customizable. And with Fantrax Treasurer, you can set league entry fees and safely distribute payouts without a third party so you don't have to track down owners for payment. And the best part of all, there's no break in the action. Once the regular season ends, Fantrax leagues are immediately open for the next season. Find out why Fantrax is the home of fantasy sports. Check out Fantrax.com today. And when you register, I'm going to remind you again as I do every show, there's a box at the bottom of the registration form to put a promo code. The promo code uh, for uh, the promotion we're running here, very simple, AL, A-L, that's it. Uh, enter AL, and what that does for you is it gets you a chance to win 10 private consultations with me. I do them by phone or by Skype. You can use them at any point during the season or during uh, the, the draft uh, season right now. Uh, so that's a uh, $109 value on almelkier.com. But if you enter the promo code Al when you register for Fantrax, then you have a chance to get those 10 consultations for absolutely free. So go do it. Go check it out and uh, play on Fantrax.com today. All right. Uh, shortstops. Uh Interesting. Uh, it, I, I know I say all these are interesting because the, you know, each position is a little bit different. But I put a focus on each of these positions on what I'm calling the pivotal players. And there are two at shortstop, and they seem particularly polarizing. So I'm going to have fun breaking the, the value uh, of these two players down. I'll leave them a mystery for the time being and break down the, the early tiers here. And the first tier, this is another sort of, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of a unique thing with shortstop as compared to other positions. The first tier to me is not really a tier. It's like five or six tiers in one because everybody uh, in this tier has their own sort of distinct region of ADP. Uh, so starting with Trey Turner, I mean, he is the consensus top shortstop. He's uh, been uh, among the top players taken overall. And uh, there's no, I mean, the, the the number two shortstop, Carlos Correa, is, you know, he's not uh, being drafted, you know, that much later. But it's not like, you know, they're two or three spots apart. I mean, it's you know, more like half a round or more. So you've got Turner uh, as the consensus number one, Correa as the consensus uh, number two. And then I'm going to throw Manny Machado in there, even though you're not going to be able to draft him as a shortstop. 
Uh, but he will be shortstop eligible uh, in, in a lot of formats, probably by week two. So, um, you know, you, you put him in there and then Francisco Lindor, and then there's a, a bit more distance. I don't think any very many, I should say any, but very many owners are really sweating too much about Correa versus Lindor. And then definitely uh, a gap between Lindor and Corey Seager. And then there's Alex Bregman, not too far behind Corey Seager. So maybe they're kind of a little mini tier. But I think at the very least, you could say that you've got, if I said five or six, maybe four is more accurate. So you've got Turner, who's a mini tier of his own. You've got Correa and Machado sort of in the same neighborhood. You've got Lindor, who's in his own neighborhood. And then you've got Seager and Bregman. But I'm calling that all one tier because, first of all, just personal preference, this is a, a subjective call, that if I'm not in the draft position to get Turner, if I don't make it a priority to get Correa or Machado, players who could be there at the one-two turn, I'm, I'm good with waiting it out to see if I can get Seeger or Bregman because I think there's enough upside with all of these players. I mean, every single one of them. Maybe with the exception of Turner, I don't think that there's upside beyond where he's actually being drafted. And maybe there are some who would argue that I don't think there really is. And that's not a knock against him. It's just he's being drafted, you know, really high. <laughs> so there's not much more to go. Uh, I don't think, I, you know, very many people would argue he's, you know, going to be challenging Mike Trout for number one or, or Jose Altuve for number two. But so not a whole lot more upside. No, nowhere really else to go for for Trey Turner. But. Correa, Machado, Lidor, Seeger, Bregman. I mean, there's there's upside there for all of them. So while they have distinct regions within ADP, it wouldn't be a shock to me and probably not to you either if this order got jumbled a little bit. I mean, Alex Bregman in particular, I talked about him on the third base preview, how uh, some people are viewing him as an elite at third base. I do not. I do view him as an elite at shortstop, which is not quite as stacked. Uh, but... Some people, you know, clearly value him a lot more. And uh, he's going to have to now make that leap from where he was last year. And last year he made a big leap. Um, he's going to make a big leap this year to really return on the ADP. But, you know, he, he could do that. I mean, he certainly has the, the skill set, the pedigree uh, to do that. So I, for my purposes, I'm considering all these players one tier. Then there is, for the, the gaps that are between the players in the first tier, there's a really big gap between the first tier and the second tier. Uh, and I would call this a small tier, just three players. Elvis Andrews, who I talked about in the first segment, who I drafted in uh, the great fantasy baseball invitational. Gene Segura and Xander Bogarts. And these are all players that draw a lot of skepticism. And, and for good reason, I think. Uh, Andrews, I've talked quite a bit about over the last couple of months. Uh, people have a, a lot of skepticism about what he did last season, particularly power-wise. I am not one of the bigger doubters, which is why I did go and, and draft him at the end of the third round uh, in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Gene Segura had his power breakout two seasons ago, and maybe that's a precursor for what people are afraid is going to happen with, with Elvis Andrews. That, but Segura had uh, some injury issues last year. He moved to a tougher ballpark, so maybe we should have seen a little bit of power regression coming for him. Uh, and so I think there's some skepticism about what version of, we may see of Gene Segura this year. And then there's Xander Bogarts, who had a, a pretty disappointing season last year, but then retrospectively we find out he was playing through a jam thumb. And to me, he is one of the two pivotal pivotal players that can really shape what your attitude is about drafting a shortstop early because that doubt that people have about Bogarts is sinking his ADP to the point where he's really the last of the players in the first two tiers. He's the last stop <laughs> and you could wait a good while to, uh, to get Sander Bogarts and, um, I, I personally, for me, this is a great thing because I think that the thumb injury does provide a plausible explanation for the drop-off last season. 
he there are some things that you there's some safety with him, even though he's had sort of an up and down career, not only in terms of overall production, but in terms of the power's been up and down. Uh, the batting average has fluctuated somewhat, although th- that's true for almost everybody. Uh, but there is some safety there in that you figure he should be a 15-15 player, give or take a couple in each category. You know, maybe he could go 17-17. Maybe he goes 13-13. But, you know, he should be right in that neighborhood. And not only that, but he should give you a good batting average. Uh, I would say... 290-ish, and I think that's where a lot of people have doubt, and produce a good number of runs in that Red Sox lineup. And I think the batting average is the key thing, and I think that's where a lot of people get cold feet with Xander Bogarts. But he doesn't strike out a lot. I mean, he's not exactly Jose Altuve in terms of strikeout rate, but he's better than average in terms of strikeout rate. And he plays home games at Fenway Park, which, along with Coors Field, is one of the two best Babbitt parks in the majors over the last few seasons. So, and, and he's the sort of hitter who could take advantage of that. And he has put up consistently good batting averages on balls and play. So I don't, I don't see a whole lot of risk here with Xander Bogarts. And, and I think because he doesn't put up huge numbers in any one category that uh, people think he's overrated, but I, I just think that he is, has some sneaky value and I'm, I'm fine with waiting it out uh, with Bogarts. Um, but then there's the next level uh, beyond the first and second tier, which I guess we should call the third tier. That's the next level. Uh, you got Didi Gregorius, who to me is one of the most puzzling players in fantasy because he hits for a, a ton of power despite not hitting the ball very far typically. Uh, and yeah, Yankee Stadium obviously does help with that somewhat. You've got Trevor Story. He's a wild card. Do we get rookie Trevor Story or do we get last year's Trevor Story? You've got Javier Baez. Uh, and then you've got the, the next player who I think is also a pivotal player, and that is Marwin Gonzalez. Because if you think, okay, I'm not so sure about Bogarts, and I like some of the, the, these third-tier fallback options. I like D.D. Gregorius. I do trust the power. I like the upside that we've already seen from Trevor Story. I like the, the uh, well-rounded production of Javier Baez. And then there's Marwin Gonzalez. And, and there, there's all kinds of question marks here. Was last year a fluke? Is, is he going to see a reduction in playing time this year, Marwin Gonzalez? If Derek Fisher is going to get 400 plate appearances or more, as the Astros' own GM has said he's going to. If Evan Gaddis is going to get a lot of time at DH when he's not catching, where's Marwin Gonzalez going to play? So there's all kinds of question marks there. And if you if you if that makes you like Marwin Gonzalez a whole lot less, and you know if you're skeptical of Gregorius, Story, and Baez, and there are reasons to be skeptical of each of them, and if you're skeptical skeptical of Xander Bogarts then either you're willing to take a huge hit at shortstop, and then you might as well just wait and wait and wait. Or you got to go in the first two or three rounds and get Lindor or get Seager or Bregman. So where you fall on those players really depends or really will influence, I think, your approach in the first three rounds or so. And I've already said, I think Bogart's like, there are plenty of good reasons to be confident in him so that you don't have to necessarily make a panic pick early to get a shortstop. Marwin Gonzalez, I'm a lot more concerned about him. So if I miss out on Bogart's, I may just be waiting and waiting because I'm skeptical of Gregorius. Story, is, is it worth taking the risk when I would have to, to bank on, on a rebound from him? Uh, Javier Baez, again, I'm just I'm not exactly sure what to expect. And there's a playing time issue there perhaps with him too. And then, and then, what do you get? Uh, you've got a lot of people sort of, uh, you know, taking a stab at, at uh, Paul DeYoung because you get through all those players and you see what's left at shortstop. You say, well, here's a guy who's shown he can hit for power, but you've got a crowded infield situation in St. Louis. Uh, I, I don't necessarily distrust the power for DeYoung, but I do distrust the batting average from last year, big time. So uh, that said, there are some deeper fallback options. I really like it shortstop. So if I don't get one of the the really big-time shortstops, if I miss out on Bogarts, I might be just fine with getting Tim Beckham, uh, who I think what you saw last year is what you get. 
He's shown potential for power before. He gets a lot of infield base hits. Uh, so I think he can overcome a high strikeout rate. There's Marcus Simeon, who uh, had a down year last year, but uh, was dealing with a wrist issue, finished strong, uh, and also stole at a much faster rate last year. So he could be a real 2020 threat. And granted, you're almost certainly going to take a hit in batting average with Marcus Simeon. But, you know, you could get him pretty late, and that's that's a nice return if you can get 2020 from him. Uh, there's Jorge Polanco, who also has some some power speed potential and probably more batting average upside than Marcus Simeon. Addison Russell, post-hype hitter. Um, he may never hit for average, although he has moderated the strikeout rate somewhat the last couple of years. I think there's still more power to come from Russell. And then finally, my favorite sleeper for the whole year, who I talked about back when I was doing my sleeper countdown, number one sleeper, Cattell Marte, who just made huge leaps and bounds last year, didn't get noticed by a whole lot of people, um, going very, very late, going undrafted, in fact, in a lot of 12-teamers, but um, dramatically improved plate discipline, some gains in power, which granted could be washed out by the humidor, but maybe not. Um, so, you know, I, I just, given what your options there, uh, I'm happy to wait for Cattell Marte if I've, uh, if I've, you know, gotten to the point where I need a, a late fallback. So anyhow, that is, uh, what I got for you with short stops. I could probably talk more, but then I'd be talking. You wouldn't be hearing me because the show is just about over. <laughs> We're out of time. So thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, that does it for this week, by the way. So uh, I will be back here on Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, right here on Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, So be back uh, next week. Uh, Update you on the great fantasy baseball invitational and uh, everything that's going on in spring training. Have a great weekend, everybody.